Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, equipping us to grow into a deeper walk with Christ. Part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Here we go. We're in chapter 5 of Ephesians. Paul now turns his attention to the wise, and I want you to hear what he says, okay? Welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff continues his mini-series from Ephesians about marriage and home life and how they shape us for heaven and effectiveness in this world. This week is one for the wives, all about capturing a man's heart. And if we expect to take the gospel of Jesus out into the world, man, and we're going to have a strong testimony in that, we got to get our homes right first. Man, if Jesus is not impacting our home, how can we expect him to impact our world and society and our lives as we present the message of the gospel? This is Today with Jeff Vines. All right, welcome. Glad you're here. Ephesians chapter 5, two passages, Ephesians 5 and Genesis 2 and 3. So kind of put a marker in both those places, Ephesians 5, Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And we're in this series uh, called Home Builders or Welcome Home rather. And we uh, built a stage like this because we wanted that intimate setting where we're talking about the importance of getting this home thing right. And you noticed last week when I talked to the husbands, I mean, I'm very passionate about this because as a pastor, I continue to meet more and more people who come from broken, fractured homes. And uh, next week when we talk about children in the home and we talk about how years ago there are things we assumed about the child and broken homes that have turned out now to be dead wrong and that it is important for children to feel that sense of belongingness and security from their parents and how there is really no better substitute for a parent than a parent, him or herself. We're going to learn those things. But the passion that we have is that although we can't do anything about the homes in the past, we want to do something about the homes in the present and the future. And I said that, if, that the problem in our country is that we're so broken and uh, so goes the family, so goes the, the city and the culture and the society and the nation. And we got to get this right, folks. We got to get it right. And again, I can't do anything about what you grew up in or what happened in your family or the past. I do know that God gives incredible mercy and grace for all of us who have been through divorce or been through broken families. I know that. I get that. And it's there for you. And he loves you. And go forward. Now, just don't make the same mistake twice. And what we're trying to do is equip us, equip you young women and young men who are thinking about marriage to think about what you're doing here. This matters. It really matters. The whole matters. And if we expect to take the gospel of Jesus out into the world, man, and we're going to have a strong testimony in that, we got to get our homes right first. Man, if Jesus is not impacting our home, how can we expect him to impact our world and society and our lives as we present the message of the gospel? So last week I talked about the husbands and I challenged you. It was kind of hard on you, right? So that's why you brought your wives here. That's why the attendance is really good this weekend. And I challenged you that it begins with you, that you're supposed to love your wife sacrificially, get the servant's garment back out of the closet and start to serve her as you once did, make her a front burner item again. And I ask you to love her communicatively, that you would take her out and have that date night and ask her, you know, how are we doing as a couple? And what are you not getting from me that you need from me? And what are your hopes and dreams? And you start opening up the lines of communication and there's the expectation and there's the delivering into the person's life, what it is that each other, what you need. It's a mutual submission, a mutual love. And then I ask you to love her spiritually. And I said that 
What a woman wants, a Christ follower anyway, what a Christ follower wants as a woman more than anything else is to be tied to a man who is following God. And I say it again to you young women, if you're in a dating relationship where you're dating someone that's not going to lead you spiritually, then just do me a favor. Don't blame God 10 years from now when you're growing closer to God. And as you are, you're growing farther away from your husband. It's just the way life is. So please, if you decide to go directly against the precepts of God, he loves you and there's, and there's, and you're forgiven, but just understand there are ramifications with every decision you make and just don't come back and blame God later because of a decision you made. That's unfair. So husbands, love your wife, love your, love her the way Christ loved the church. Now I want to talk to you wives for a moment. And I know I'm uh, somewhat against the wall because I am a man talking to wives and, uh, uh, I would have glad, I've been glad for my wife to come up and deliver this message. She's just not going to do that. You got to know her. It's not going to happen. And so I want to deliver it the best I can here. I want to start like this. I'm always picking on the wives and I, I gave you a, uh, uh, just a little, uh, I don't know, five or six statements to answer the question why a dog is better than a wife. Well, this time I want to say why a dog is better than a husband. Okay. Uh, six quick things. Number one, why a dog is better than a husband because dogs don't feel threatened by your intelligence. Okay. Why a dog is better than a husband. Dogs think you are a culinary genius. No matter what you feed them, they think you're brilliant. A dog is better than a husband because you can house train a dog. A dog is better than a husband because middle-aged dogs don't feel the need to abandon you for a younger model. Number five, the reason a dog is better than a husband is dogs mean it when they kiss you. And finally, finally, number six, my personal favorite, why a dog is better than a husband, dogs don't care whether or not you shave your legs. Okay. Now, Paul now turns his attention to the wives, and I want you to hear what he says. Okay, here we go. We're in chapter five of Ephesians, verse 22, wives... Submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now the first thing I want you to notice is this is not a politically correct passage. Now you do realize that I don't care. And neither should you. See, you've grown up in a generation that tells you that political correctness is the highest value, and it is not. You've been lied to. The church has never been politically correct, even from its institution way back in the days of Jesus. It was politically incorrect to help people who were diseased, but the church did that at the risk of their own lives. It was politically incorrect to keep a handicapped child, yet the church did, where the world slaughtered them. So the church has never worried that much about what political correctness was, and neither should you. Now, you don't want to be stupid, but ultimately, you care about what the Bible teaches. And I think if you women will give me a chance here, and you start to understand what he means by the word submission, that you'll back off a little bit and say, okay, I got it. If that's what he means, I'm with you. But not everything I say is going to be politically correct. And I don't care. And neither should you. Now, If you're going to understand marriage, the first thing I want you to understand, women, about your men, is that if you're going to go into marriage with your eyes wide open, you've got to understand what the Bible teaches you about your man, okay? Now, at times of the sermon, you're going to say, wait a minute, okay, I got it, but what about me? Well, that was last week. It's not your time. This is the guy's time. So this is when you sit and you take it and you say, okay, maybe I ought to think about these things. First thing you need to understand about a man, according to scripture, is your husband is wired to lead, 
There's something about our masculinity you got to know, and it's going to help you understand the way we relate to you and the way we relate to our world, that God hardwired us to be leaders, to move out into our world effectively, productively, and to lead and to change the world. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Now, turn over to Genesis 2, and let me help you understand how Ephesians 5 and Genesis 2 are related. The Bible says after God created man that he took the man and he put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Two Hebrew words that mean to work it, to subdue it, to rule it, and to take care of it and to nourish it. So he's got both those sides. The reason this text is important is it is a pre-fall text. The fall has not happened yet, which means that work is not the result of the fall. Work was what God intended man to do from the beginning, to cultivate, to tend, to rule, to subdue, to move out productively and effectively in his world. And it's like Adam, when he hears God say, I want you to subdue and to rule, and I want you to garden and nourish, and I want you to reap and to sow. Adam doesn't say, well, I know, that's not what I want to do. I want to lay on the couch, eat potato chips, and throw the Frisbee. Uh, Adam says, no, that's great. I'm glad to hear that, God, because... What a, what a coincidence. That's what I want to do. I want to move out. Something in me is wired, hardwired. I want to move out effectively and productively in my world. And God said, that's great. And here's your first order of business. Genesis two nineteen. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. God said, great. Here's your first order of business in moving out effectively and productively in the world. Name the animals I send to you. Wow. Adam could have said, what if I get it wrong? You can't get it wrong. Whatever you call it, that shall be its name, which brings some questions. Okay, I get the thing with bluebird. I mean, how hard is that? It's a bird, it's blue. Uh, Or or a uh, blowfish. Okay, a fish, it looks like it's blowing. But what makes him want to call this thing an orangutan? I don't get that. You say, well, that's the Hebrew word. I don't care what it is. Anything that translates into English, orangutan, something's wrong. Orangutan? Or, or what about this animal? The hippopotamus, one of my favorite animals. The hippopotamus. Who comes up with that word? And the point is, God delegates to Adam and says, whatever comes to your mind, whatever you want to name it, name it. And that's what its name shall be. So ladies, the first thing I want you to understand, God wired, hardwired into your guy, this microchip that tells him, to lead and to be in control. It's an aggression chip to get out there, to make a difference, to take charge and to lead. In verse 28 of chapter one, God says to the man, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God says, man, I put you in charge. You are large and in charge. I'm larger and in charger, but you're large and in charge of the earth. And I want you to use the earth for your benefit. Don't abuse it, but use it, manage it. So ladies, when it comes to your man, part of the salim, it's a Hebrew word that means carving out. The way God carved your man is a desire in him to move out and to be effective and productive in his world. But the Bible also knew he would need a helper. This is Today with Jeff Vines and his message, Capturing a Man's Heart, a special word for women in marriage. Let's continue now with Pastor Jeff. Go back to verse 28. It says that God blessed them the man and woman, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So that the original order of the universe, God wired two people, the man to lead, to rule, subdue, and a woman to be a great helper and supporter to the man as he and her and together as they rule, subdue, and lead. Together they carry out the internal place mission. Now, here's the thing. 
Genesis teaches us this. And just in case there's some confusion, Paul goes to great lengths in the Pauline epistles to explain it, to expound it. And so in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, he says, all of you were baptized into Christ. You clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, you're all the same. In essence, Jew, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, it's true. In essence, we're all equal. There's no one greater than the other. However, there is a hierarchical uh, system that God has established in the home. And here's what it is. Ephesians 5, 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is savior. Now it's the culture that tells you that if somebody's the head, the other is lesser. But no, the Bible's simply teaching that God has wired these guys to be the leader, spiritual leader. And remember what a leader in the Bible is. It is a servant leader. He serves first and foremost, but he is the leader in his home. So ladies understand, don't walk out on me. Stay with me. It's not our fault. There's something in us that's definitive. It's positive. It's something in us that wants us to go out and make a difference in the world to sow and to reap, to move out effectively and productively. We're wired like that. Now, some of you women are saying, whoa, you don't know my husband. He ain't wired like that. He missed that train. Or while he was sleeping, somebody took that microchip out of him. And what I'm saying to you is I believe that every man is wired this way. But to some degree, there are various agents that begin to suppress that in a man, whether it be the way he's brought up, his childhood, whatever. But it is in every man to lead and to subdue and to rule and move out into his world effectively. And when that chip, stay with me, if if at any point you think, whoa, just hold on. When that chip is submitted to God, beautiful things happen. You get men like Ravi Zacharias, who is just wickedly smart, who has a passion to go into the places of higher education all over the globe, all over the globe, literally with teams of people, men, women, to go out and defend the cause of Jesus Christ. And he's respected by even people who disagree with him in higher places of learning, by governments, by nations. You get a guy like Billy Graham who is wired and suddenly this chip inside him It takes over and he thinks that everyone on planet earth should hear the gospel in simplicity. So he starts this organization, this evangelistic organization. He goes about changing the world. I've talked about men like Jim Elliott, one of the top, probably the top graduate of Wheaton College who foregoes business and money to go down to South America to bring the gospel to the Aqua Indians. He, along with four of his other friends, die for it. His wife, Elizabeth, Elizabeth returns and he's the one that says he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But it's not only guys like that. It's guys in our own church. I think of my friend Jack Lansford, who owns a cabinet company, very successful company. And yet, Jack is not ultimately about making furniture. Uh, For a long time, his vision was to take as many Bibles into China as he could. And he, at great risk, Uh, to his job and to his life probably and to his family Uh, because of this hard wiring that God gave him to move out effectively, productively and go out and change the world. He's now looking for a new endeavor. I think of Bill McCartney uh, who coached Colorado to its only national championship uh, who at the height of his career when his team was ranked third in the country when he just finished uh, a player who won the Heisman Trophy because he rushed 2,000 plus yards At the height of his career, and I believe it was 1994, just threw in his whistle and said, I quit coaching. 
Because he said, I'm neglecting my family, my wife and my kids, and I got to make a difference. I got to make a change. And then he founded an organization called Promise Keepers that encourages young men to be men of God and to lead their wives spiritually in their homes and their communities. I think of my friend Mike Masterson, who attends on Saturday night, who owns Isotech, one of the fastest growing pest management companies. And Mike enjoys what he does, and he's somewhat of an inventor, patent after patent. But the reality is his real passion is to introduce all of his employees to the love and the hope found in Jesus Christ. And he's continuing to be creative in finding ways to do that. Now, when this microchip that God has wired in us is submitted to God, great things happen. But sometimes when it's not submitted to God, very, very bad things happen. So you get men who abuse their families. You get men who say, well, I'm in charge and I'm the authority in the family. And they even quote Bible passages that they have no idea what they truly mean. And they lord their authority over their wife and their children. They're abusive. You get bosses who are domineering and, and just, just flat out mean to their employees. Uh, I never knew Bill Gates, and I still don't know Bill Gates, but I know that they talk about Bill Gates having something that race car drivers describe as red mist. And it's when a man gets so pumped up and so uh, passionate about subduing something and ruling and overwhelming something that he actually has the red tint in his eyes. He's so passionate, so angry, and so forceful. And sometimes men, if you don't submit that chip to God, You don't lead, but you lord. You don't subdue, but you destroy. And you don't rule, you devastate. And the carnage is great. And again, you get bosses who are domineering and dictators. You get political figures who are out of control, who misuse misuse their power. And men who abuse their wives. But here's what I want you to understand, ladies. Every man on this planet, as part of his wiring, is going to find an arena in his life where he can lead. He's going to look for it until he finds it. Your husband is wired to lead. Now stay with me. Second, your husband's environment is cursed. So he's wired to lead, but he's behind the eight ball from the get-go. Genesis 3.17, because of the fall, God said to Adam, because you have done this, you're not going to eat from this tree. And matter of fact, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you and you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you're going to eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you will return. So not only is your husband wired to lead, his environment is cursed. Before the fall, man is wired to lead. And it's like God comes and says to Adam, Adam, before you were wired to lead and the creation would work in harmony with you, but now... You're wired to lead, but the creation is going to be your worst enemy. It's going to work against you. So now as a man moves out to be productive and effective in his world, people lie to him. People don't return his phone calls. He tries to grow and be productive, but but people betray him. His environment is cursed and it's going to work against him. And not only that, in this passage, the Bible says that your man is going to live with this constant cloud over his life, that one day he's going to work, 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 and then he's going to die. That there are going to be times in his life where he stops and thinks, why am I doing this, man? Because one day it's all going to turn to rubble anyway. And some men deal with that by getting so busy that they never have time to be silent. Because in silence, they know they have to start dealing with the questions that matter. So they would rather just live in denial and pretend it's not real. Other men, they just get lazy. They say, what's the use? And so they just live on the couch. 
And nothing ever happens in their life. Because they realize, I'm going to die one day, what's the use? I might as well just live here on the street, or I might as well just stay in the house and get everything I can from the government and just take it easy. And in both cases, they're married to a woman who's dying a little bit inside every day. There's no way I can talk about every issue. There's not. But I can tell you this. is we're talking about the men, they're wired to lead. There's something in them. And they know their environment is cursed. And they also know that one day they're going to die and they live with that cloud over them. Not only that, guys, but now we're living in a time when we are trying, let's call it this, it's the feminization of the American male. Where guys have to feel guilty that they're strong and that they're men. I'll have men come up into my office or I'll meet with them for coffee and they'll say, man, Jeff, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be anymore. I say, what do you mean? He goes, well, I'm a man. I want to be strong. I want to go out there. I want to make a difference. But at the same time, I have my church and everybody else tell me I've got to be humble like Jesus. Well, which is it? And there's a confusion here because humility is not the antithesis to power. Jesus, yes, is the savior of the world and little kids can come and sit on his knee. But I'll tell you something else. He is. He's a warrior. He's the rider on the white horse with a sword in his hand with a name written above all names. And he goes out to conquer. So a real man has the power and he goes out to rule and subdue and to make a difference in the world. But in cases where it calls for humility, he's able to do that too. It's not the absence of power. It's the suppression of it for a greater cause. And so you have men wondering, I had a guy say to me, you know, Jeff, my wife wants me to have an emotional connection to her. I don't even know what that is. (laughs) And that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. It's okay to be a man. It's okay to move out into your world. You should not apologize. I have guys in my office wanting to apologize for defending our country. What? I say thank you for being a man and going out there and defending our country. But you say, well, wait a minute. What about the women? I told you we talked about women last week. By the way, thank you too. Right now we're talking about guys. is today with Jeff Vines. We'll continue capturing a man's heart next time on the program. Paul talks about this one issue because he knows this is the thing with which they're going to struggle. You can hear more messages or read more information from Pastor Jeff by heading to vision.org.au and searching for Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.